Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. You know, uh, it was... September of 2011, we knew the Lord was stirring our hearts to go somewhere. And so in the prayer room, we began putting out a list. We figured, hey, if God is a good God and we're his kids, we're just going to put a list out. So we put a list out of eight things that we asked the Father for in September. And uh, we got a... come towards February, we had an apostle in our life say, Doug, don't do anything. In six months, God's going to open the doors. And my wife, then the Lord, my wife, even in September, really felt, hey, don't do anything after September. Or excuse me, after August uh, 1st. Don't, don't plan anything after August 1st. And that was kind of difficult for me. But uh, uh, so, behold, we, we ended up getting a phone call 1030 at night. I mean, 1030 at night, so it's your guys' time, 1230, so calling us, and they were inviting us to uh, candidate for Pella. And uh, I did, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm public school raised, and so I had, a, I had to look on a map where Iowa was. <laughs> so we, yeah, we, my wife and I, after we heard that voicemail, we talked real briefly and real quick, and we were going. And so our kids in May showed up at our house. They moved in with us for the, the whole purpose of launching with us. We didn't know two days, two years, two months if we're, when we were going to leave. And so they moved in in May, and um, we came out of our office, and we told them, and they started packing. The next day, we put our house on the market. It sold over list price to, in nine hours. We bought one-way plane tickets. We shipped vehicles, and we hadn't been here yet. I, I mean, I, between my my boss, so to speak, and, and my boss and I, we had vacation. We were taking kids to college. He was he had stuff. We we couldn't get there for almost uh, like thirty days later. So, but we had one way plane tickets, and we had a vehicle. And so, when we got ready to actually leave and come down here on the twenty fourth of August, um, my son in law said, "Dad, what, what's going to happen if you don't get?" Then I said, you're moving to Pella. You got one-way plane tickets and your vehicle's there already. So uh, anyway, we showed up and the Lord was great. And they said, when can you be here? I said, we're going to be here in 11 days. And man, it was been like a, it's been like our head's been on fire ever since. And God's been really gracious to us. And we have a, a wonderful, wonderful group of people. In fact, we got, I don't know, 10 or, 10 or 12 people here from our church. And we just, I tell you what, I couldn't imagine doing church with any other people. They are just wonderful people. They're hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for kingdom things. And so they're just notch people. And so I just really honor them and hold them in high esteem. And, uh, uh, but um, it's, it's right up next to me. Okay, hold in the middle. Okay. So, but, uh, you know, 
I mean, we've been married 30 years, just a little bit about me real quick, and we have two daughters. Uh, one is, and her and her husband and four grandkids live just down the block from us, and we're really thankful for that because grandkids are awesome. And um, uh, then we have another daughter who's in Palm Springs, and she's getting married, and uh, uh, we've been blessed with two daughters. Married about 30 years, and, and, uh, and really looking forward to seeing what the Lord has for us. And so, uh, But let's go ahead and pray, and then I want to share with what the, the Lord's been speaking to me um, over this last several weeks. So, Father, we just come to you. Whatever it takes, Jesus, we just want more of you. Holy God, we ask that you would just release your glory upon this region in ways that, we've only, that we haven't even imagined. So, Father, we ask that you would just pour yourself out upon the churches, God, whether they're part of the alliance or not a part of the alliance, God, from, from Catholic to Methodist to Lutheran and everybody in between. Release your glory, God, throughout this region, throughout Iowa, Father. We ask, God, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done on on earth, as in heaven, as in heaven, here in Iowa, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we hide your word in our heart, God, that we might not sin against you. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. You know, one of the things the Lord's been speaking to me over the last uh, several weeks, and, and that is this. He's been saying this one phrase to me, and every time he says it, it there's, a, there's an emphasis with it, and it's this. He keeps saying to me, set the rudders. Set the rudders. Now, when he says it to me, uh, it, it's in a, a, a plural sense, and, uh, you know, I'm not a marine specialist or an aviation specialist in any way, shape, or form, so I went to Wikipedia, and I said, what is a rudder for? Because I'm thinking, like, Lord, what do you mean, set the rudder? And what I discovered is, in the basic sense, a rudder for a boat or for a ship is the main way that you steer and keep the boat on course. And for an aircraft, that rudder causes that plane to align to the runway and then also helps it with with crosswinds uh, when landing. And so when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, hey, set the rudders, what he was saying to me, he said this. He said, Doug, there are some key things that you are going to need that we as a region, I'm going to speak to us as a region because I really believe that uh, for the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit would call us to be intentional in this one thing that we're going to call this one rudder for tonight. And he said that there's some key things in our life that are going to keep us on course. And when the crosswinds of life come, and by the way, crosswinds, will come that we'll be able to stay the course that the Father sets before us. And so setting these rudders that Holy Spirit said to me, and, and he used the, in the plural sense, but we'll just look at one tonight. And he said that they're the absolutes. They're going to guide you. They're going to protect you. They're going to help you. And one of the rudders that Holy Spirit would call you and I to be intentional this year in 2017 to set, and that is this, is our identity of who we are in Christ, who we are and whose we are. That you and I would be intentional in this one area. I really feel the Lord as I was worshiping, the Lord kept, I kept hearing the word that it, some, that the rug's being pulled out from underneath you. And if Holy Spirit is speaking that to you and that bears witness with you, that, that, uh, that God is saying, hey, he wants to establish within you a rudder of, of whose you are and who you are, even as the enemy wants to yank that rug up out from underneath you of your identity. And he, want to ro- he wants to rob that from you. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about identity theft. 
identity theft. And so I've been pastoring for about 28 years. And one of the things that I've noticed within the body of Christ, that is, it's almost like a Trojan horse to the body of Christ. And that is this, that we fully don't understand our identity in Christ of whose we are and who we are. And so what happens is we often will live like an orphan. And so we want to talk about this identity theft. You know, we hear about identity theft constantly on the news. The Russians are hacking. Uh, uh, Yahoo lost, what, a, a billion different accounts or whatever. Or some corporation, they, they lose a laptop and their client's uh, uh, information was compromised. And, in fact, we had two credit cards over Christmas. Uh, uh, somebody had a real field day. And uh, uh, we were all, they, they took care of us. But Federal Trade Commission, they say this. They say that it is the number one consumer complaint, identity theft. In fact, the feds are saying this, that identity theft is expected to surpass traditional theft as the leading form of property crime. The average person that has their identity stolen, they, they spend about 300 hours uh, repairing everything. Forbes magazine says that every two minutes, a person in America is a victim to identity fraud. And, and so, beloved, here's the deal, uh, is that there's, there's also a spiritual identity theft that is just as real and just as constant. And I, I, I believe it's probably one of the greatest attacks upon the body of Christ and the believer, like a Trojan horse. It's, it's like we, we, before we know that it's been eroded away or, or, or we don't fully know who we are in him and what he has done for us. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but in this house, I think we are more aggressive in understanding that first off, God is good, and second off, our identity because of your, because of your uh, corporate destiny that you've uh, established. And so, what happens is when we don't know our identity or who we are and whose we are, it really cripples us and cripples our, our, our faith. And, 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 and what happens is we don't feel worthy to exercise our authority because we, when we don't know who we are and whose we are, we lack assurance and, and even that, that confidence. And, and the enemy will, will work diligently to program our mind to steal our identity so that we feel worthy and unable to walk in that power and that authority and that uh, dominion that the cross affords us. And so in 2017, Really, the first full weekend of this year, I challenge you that we would come together as a region, that we would come into agreement with what the Father says and what the Word says about who we are and whose we are. Our identity in Christ will be stronger. And hear me on this. We, 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 we won't be double-minded as a believer where we know one truth, but yet we believe, we say, and we live totally opposite. And see, the Father does not define you according to what other people say about you, what your past says, or what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. The Father sees in you gold. He, he sees something in you that, in you that, that no one else sees because of this it, it is, is we have to under, begin to understand and be intentional and in setting the rudder of what God says to learn to speak what God speaks about us. 
And, and this takes a lot of discipline, and, and here's the reason why. Is the enemy has programmed the body of Christ at large, if I could say. He's programmed us, and in some cases built that stronghold within us. So we tend to speak circumstances, and we allow that to dictate our belief, which over time forms our identity. We look at our, who we are in the natural realm but God is looking from the end, from the beginning. And so tonight, I want to go to the book of Ruth. And I want to talk to you about that identity theft. And Ruth, cha- Ruth chapter 1, we're going to look at. Ruth is a, f- a phenomenal book, by the way. I just would encourage you to read the whole book. It's only four chapters. But it's a wonderful book, and it deals with a, with a woman named Naomi. But it's a perfect example of someone's identity theft. And I want to look at this first chapter, and I want to look at four tools that I see the enemy using within the body of Christ and very prevalently instilling the believer's spiritual identity to get us to think, believe, and confess that which is contrary to the Father's heart. So let me set the stage in chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. Chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, and we'll pick it up in verse 8. So we got this guy named Elimelech. And, and he's married to this lady named Naomi, and they moved to Moab because uh, there's famine in the land. And as they moved to Moab, in verse 3, after they're there for a while, he dies. Well, that wasn't too bad, but the, the two sons, they marry two Moabite ladies, and the two sons die. And, and, and Naomi, she's kind of at, at her end, and, and rightfully so, and she, she hears that the famine is over, so what she does is she loads up and goes back to her country land. Let's pick it up in verse 8, reading from the NIV. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and, and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. And here it is. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. So here's what we have. And Naomi, she's telling them, hey, Ladies, girls, I'm too old to give you another husband. And in fact, if they married today, would you wait that long? And so she blesses them to go back to their, their homeland. She says, hey, go marry some nice Moabite guys, have some Moabite babies. But if you follow me, you're going to go down a very difficult road. And, and in verse 13, this is where we start to see uh, Naomi's uh, identity to begin to be eroded away. She says in verse 13 again, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Now, read, let's read on in verse 14. 
At this, they wept again. Then Ophrah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go and where, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever, ever it be so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied with Ruth, the Moabitess, and her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And so here's what you have. They, they, they arrive back into town, and like you and I, if, if you haven't seen someone from a, from, for a long time, you, you kind of look across the, the sanctuary and says, is, is, is that Naomi? And what she hears her response, and it begins to show you her identity had been taken. And she says this, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because God has made my life very bitter. Now, Naomi meant pleasant, but Mara meant bitter. She says, I have changed my name from Mara, from Naomi to Mara. Don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Don't call me happy, call me bitter. Don't call me joyful, call me bitter. What she was saying is, she says, I have lost my identity as pleasant Naomi, and now I am Mara bitter. Her identity as pleasant, it was stolen, and it was replaced with bitter. And here's the spiritual application, guys. And this is the deal. When the enemy steals your identity, he never, uh, he never leaves you with a clean slate. He always replaces it with something else. And normally it is in polar opposite of what Papa says about you. In this case, God had called her Naomi, Naomi Pleasant. Her God-given destiny was found in her name, and the enemy was replacing it through lies with Mara or bitter. Naomi's circumstance was pleasant, but now she was bitter. Now, this is not a sermon on, on bitterness, although bitterness can be a, a major blessing blocker between us and God, but a sermon on someone's identity being stolen. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about an attitude or her mood, although that did show up in, in her identity. I mean, let's face it, when someone renames themselves bitter, I mean, you, you kind of know how things are going. You don't just walk up to her and say, hey, bitter, how is it going? You know it because of what her name says. See, in their day, the name was very critical and very key. My name is Doug, of course. I don't know why my mom and dad named me Doug. Now, I do have my aunt's middle name. Who would name their parent? I mean, what would my mom and dad thinking? 
You know, I had to repent of lying all my life. I told everybody that I was named after Gail Sayers, the football player, not Gail, my auntie. But in their days, the, the, the names were really critical and they're really pivotal because it meant their destiny. It meant who they are. It was, it was everything about them. It was going to be their character and their temperament. And she took on the identity of bitter because her identity was sold. So here, to recap it, here we got. So she goes through a famine. She uproots, goes to, her, to another country. Her husband dies. Her sons die. One daughter-in-law is no longer with her. She has no men in her life. And no, no grandchildren. And she is bitter. And so... How did she lose her identity, and how do we keep it from happening to us? How does a child of God, a blood-bought child of God, have their identity stolen? Well, there's a plethora of things, but I want to give you four things that I really see prevalent within the body of Christ that I see over and over after 28 years of, of serving the Lord that I see the enemy using these four things and that he will steal your identity, and it'll be like a Trojan horse. And so in 2017, I call you to set the rudder, put it in place, up front, settle it now, that this is my identity, this is who I am. I am a son of a good God. I am a son of a loving father. The first thing that, that we see, and it's a really a gateway that the devil used to steal your identity, and that is this, is pain pain. I mean, let's face it. What Naomi was going through was very painful. She, she had lost her husband. She had, she had lost a child, and, and that would be extremely painful. And I can't imagine losing a child or, or, or losing my, my spouse. And, and, and for Naomi, she was, she was a refugee, and she experienced such great loss, and yet she was a child of God. Her life was full of loss, and she was angry, and she had a, a lot of questions. And, and maybe you're here today, and you're going through a time of pain, and you're going through a season of loss, and I want to encourage you, don't leave here today without someone loving you, without someone walking with you, without someone speaking over your life, without someone praying for you. We as leaders, we, we want to come alongside you because we want to see you step into your destiny and fulfill your potential for the kingdom as a son and, and, and here, here's, the, here's the thing, guys. Here's the temptation. When we go through painful times and painful seasons is for us to identify with our trouble or our pain rather than identify with God who is a good father. To associate our, our, with our troubles and our pain rather than whom Christ is and what Christ has done. See, when you go through a a painful time, there's a a temptation for us to orbit around that pain or orbit around that that event, and and it's like a gravitational pull. And if you're not careful, the enemy will use that pain as a, a gateway to steal your identity of who you are in Christ and even cause you to walk in life as an orphan. And beloved, this is why I call you in 2017, the first full weekend, to to be intentional about this in 2017, to set the rudder of who we are and whose we are, so that when the crosswinds of life come, 
that we're able to stay the course the Father was set out before us of releasing kingdom culture in our sphere of influence. The second tool the enemy uses and used on Naomi to steal her identity was self-pity. Self-pity. So we have pain, loss, self-pity. And if you look back at verse 13, she basically says this, I have it worse You lost your husband, I lost my husband and boys. You're young, I'm old. Your loss is great, my loss is greater. And here's what the enemy wants to do with us. He wants us to become so focused on our pain that we begin to almost worship our pain and our pain uh, uh, becomes almost like a god to us. See, uh, with pain, you can either nurse it, you can rehearse it, or you can curse it. And, and, and if we're not careful, the enemy, our adversary, will come into our life and he'll steal our identity through our pain and then attack our emotions through self-pity. And if you're in the middle of a season... Your identity is not in the firestorm that's going on around you. Your identity is as being a son of a good, good father who wants to partner with you to release kingdom culture in your sphere of influence. And so the first two things is pain and self-pity. The third one, let's look at this next one. The enemy wants to use to steal your identity as a son. He attacks your mind and tries to destroy your perspective. Perspective. So Naomi, she goes back home for a new beginning. But she ends up living in her past. I've seen people, they'll, they'll move to another town, they'll buy another house, they'll leave one church, go to another to try to have a new beginning but they're stuck in their past and their identity of, of who Christ is and what Christ has done for them becomes really a, a, a distant blur. And what your adversary is doing, he wants to ultimately destroy your relationship with you and Papa. And this is a side note. This is why I really believe in the Sozo ministry and, and deliverance ministries. Because there are some things that you will go through in life that you will be able to walk yourself in the wholeness and you will even bring deliverance over your life. There's some things you can do it on your own. But let's face it, there is stuff that we all go through, amen, that we need a brother and a sister in the Lord. uh, And we we need people that have a breaker anointing to break that stuff off of us, to, to help us close those doors, to walk in that forgiveness, That was just a, an advertisement there. My goal is that 50% of our church go through deliverance. Why 50%? We have to start somewhere. I'll just be up front with you. My, I tell my church all the time, we need, we need to, you know, hey, the enemy's a booger. And, and he'll he'll he he uses such such he's he's a compl- he, he's so he's he's very good with Trojan horses in your life and my life to erode away your identity to develop into an identity that is contrary to Papa. And in 2017, 
that we would be very intentional on setting the rudder of whose we are and who we are. See, Satan, he begins with pain in your life, then he moves to your emotions, and, he, uh, and then he works on the mind. And, and, and by the way, when we go through difficulties, quite often we don't handle them, them objectively, but subjectively. And, and in verse 20, it, 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 look at that. It's a great example when Naomi, she says, I came back with nothing. She says, God has opposed me. God has afflicted me. God doesn't care about me. Uh, if God cared about me, he would have done something. So God has dealt with me bitterly. Call me bitter. See, the enemy had stole her identity through her pain. He dealt with her emotions with self-pity. And this is where we see her lose her perspective. Now, if you read on, it's a phenomenal four-chapter book. First off, the last verse of the first chapter says she came back with Ruth. I mean, she didn't come back with nothing. But then, guess what? Ruth and Boaz get married. Hey, that guy didn't have a chance. I mean, that guy was set up from get-go. And and, and they get married, and and Boaz becomes Naomi's kinsman redeemer. And then they have a a son named Obed. And what's interesting, in chapter 4, verse 17, they call Obed... Ruth's child, they call Obed Naomi's son. And then Obed has a son. His name is Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. And guess who came from David? Jesus. Do you see how the enemy had robbed, uh, robbed, robbed the uh, perspective with her? See, for us to settle up front, who we are and whose we are is going to be a pivotal rudder that Holy Spirit would call us to set in 2017. See, if we don't see ourselves as a son and, and the father as a good father, when we go through trauma, when we go through pain, when we go through difficulty, when we go through dry seasons, we will have a, a, a tendency to look at things subjectively, and this is where the enemy will begin to erode our way, our confidence in the father of who, and who we are as a son. I I don't know if I can trust him. Let's go look at the fourth thing. The fourth thing, by all means, it's not the last tool the enemy will use to steal your identity in Christ, and that is this, your past. Rather than Naomi moving forward, she lived in her past. And, and, And please hear me on this. If you live in your past, it will take over your present, and it will destroy your future. And, and really, that's what the enemy is after. He's after you, uh, your destiny of being a son that is called to release kingdom culture in your sphere of influence, as in heaven, so here on earth. See, your tomorrow does not have to be the same as yesterday. And the devil, your adversary, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will use whatever will work. I've just listed four things. Pain, self-pity, damaged perspective in your past. And, and the thing is, guys, no one, is, no one here tonight is exempt. Every one of us in this room has had to deal with these four things. And if we haven't dealt with them yet, we will. And, and even more. And so the question is, is what is threatening to steal your identity tonight? In this season, 
Could it be a relational thing or a financial thing or, or, or what people are saying or what people have said? Could it be that you're in a season of loss and a season of pain? Where do we go from here as blood-bought children of God? The first thing we have got to learn to do is we have to expose the lie. We have to become really good lie detectors. Bill Johnson says this, agree with a lie and you will empower the liar. See, if we don't know who we are and whose we are, we'll tend to, to fall into that, that performance identity where we can really never measure up. And, and beloved, the, the devil works overtime to try to get you your identity to come through your performance, which ultimately it releases in your life that anxiety, that fear, and that striving, and that insecurity, and so on. So hear my heart, guys. This is a critical issue that we must understand that our identity comes from what the Father says and what his word says. It it, it can't come from your upbringing. It can't come from your past. It it can't come from your failure or your wealth. or It can't come from your present circumstance or your performance of, of what you do or what you don't do. Your identity as a son has to come from the most high God, his word, and what he says about you. See, again, if we don't know who we are in Christ, we're going to settle into that performance Christianity. And all, again, all that, all that does really, hey, I've been in that performance Christianity where I, I feel like I, I have to earn my way through this whole journey of Christ. And it, 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 it's, it's just really a miserable experience because it really produces that resentment because you can never measure up, that anger, that religiosity, uh, anxiety and fear and striving and, and, and on and on and on. And, and guys, that's the, devil, that's the position the devil wants you to live from and to minister from, and we can't afford that. And so in 2017, I call you as a region to allow your thoughts to catch up with what the Father says about you, to come into agreement with him, that in 2017 that we would be very intentional in this area. To be that great lie detector, so to speak, and, and, and guys, that only happens as we're in the word and we're just sitting at his feet. I'm desperate for a revelation of the Father's love and sonship. I think that's one of the things that as the body of Christ is what we need more than anything is really that revelation of the Father's love for us. I mean, we all say, yeah, yeah, God loves me, God loves me. No, 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 I mean to experience it experientially, not just head knowledge. And that he would release a download over us of sonship. Because we've been lied to. And to some extent, the body of Christ has come in agreement with that lie. 
Let me just give you a couple things, and then we're going to, we'll, we'll end here in just a second. Listen to what the Father says. The Father calls you a child of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it, it says he calls you children of God. And I don't know about you, but, but, and there's multiple scriptures that call us sons, but there's a, there's a horrendous ramifications that when you're the son... My kids walk into my house. They don't ask me to get into my refrigerator. They just help themselves. There's things that my kids don't have to ask for. It is theirs. It says that you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. You, hey, you've got a clean start, and you've got a clean slate. It says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. But pastor, I don't feel like it. Well, I tell you what, God said it, therefore we align our lives to it and, and that we believe it until it manifests. Hey, you don't have to live the old way. God's giving you victory over sin. You are the temple of God, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The Spirit of God lives within you. The creative Spirit of God that spoke the world into existence lives in you. Therefore, you are creative. You bring ideas to the table. God's given you witty inventions. God's given you cost-saving ideas. God's given you business concept ideas. God's given you book ideas. God gives you uh, child-raising ideas. God gives you creative ways to reach the kingdom, reach people for the kingdom. He says, you are a priest. You are a king. You are an ambassador. You are a very representative of heaven. You are called to represent God. You may say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, no, no, no. Your feelings have to catch up with what God says by changing the way we think and the way we see ourselves. You are his, his workmanship. You are created in Christ for wonderful things. You, you, you are created to release hope, to, to, to release the love of God, the joy of God. You are created to be an atmosphere setter, that wherever you go, that you release the kingdom of God. That's who you are here in Ankeny, in Des Moines, in Nevada, in Ottumwa. In Pella. And so in 2017, and we can go ahead and house sound. In 2017, I just really call us as a region to be deliberate in setting the rudder of whose we are, whose we are, and who we are. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.